I'm going to read to you from Mark 10. I'm going to read from verse 35. I want to share something with you this morning that I've been um, just soaking in myself over the last week or two. Um, And with what is going to be happening in uh, a few weeks' time when we gather uh, for our AGM after the, after the meeting on the Sunday morning. And those of you who are partners will have an opportunity to give an affirmatory vote um, of the people whose names have been put forward for eldership. What I've got to say this morning is important. Inasmuch as sometimes people say, well, how do I know if somebody's really an elder, you know? And I hope what I share this morning will give you some way of making that determination. But more than that, I hope that it stirs something in you, for you. Because um, I just... I think, I hope, that I can communicate what I feel the Lord's given me. It says this, And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? I always find that interesting because Jesus already knew probably. And they said to him, grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in glory. And Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or my left is not mine to grant. But it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles... Lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servants, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. At the beginning of this year, we rededicated this building to the Lord. We went throughout the building, we anointed it with oil. We asked God to cleanse the temple. So, genuinely, we probably are not looking right now that we have to keep revisiting that moment of what has gone before. We have drawn a line and we are moving forward. 
But this morning, I actually think it would be good, having drawn that line, to consider the issue of servanthood. Because it is a mark of the true spiritual life. It is a mark of a true Christian being a servant. Someone who is willing to give their life on behalf of others. Towards um, the end of last year, Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth passed away. And one of the things that became a focal point in the celebration of her life was the fact that she made a commitment to the nation that she would serve them all the days of her life. She said these words, I have in sincerity pledged myself to your service as so many of you are pledged to mine. Throughout all my life and with all my heart, I shall strive to be worthy of your trust. Powerful words. Powerful words. If you listen to any of the media coverage during the time or even during the actual funeral processions and everything itself, that phrase, that, that recall to that moment, that promise... That promise to serve faithfully was reminded again and again and again and again. And the comments of different people about how the Queen actually fulfilled that in her day-to-day life. Servanthood, despite her high position, Servanthood was the thing that became the thing that marked her reign. The thing that marks Jesus' reign is servanthood. Here in this passage, Jesus says these words, For even the Son of Man, referring to himself, came not to be served, or not to, uh, not to be served but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. It is one thing to make a promise. It's another thing to keep it. All of us will know that. All of us will know that. The number of times we might have made a promise to do something and we forget about it. And then all of a sudden it comes back. The times I've offered to pray for someone because they're facing an exam or they're going for a driving test. And I remember after the event, it's like it just goes out of my mind. And I remember, and then of course I'm the type of guy who tries to get away with it. Because I know that if it all went well, somebody's going to thank me for my prayers. (laughs) So I backdate them, all right? I say to the Lord, oh God, I'm sorry that I forgot to pray. Lord, I really hope it went well, you know. (laughs) Not that it's going to make any difference at that point, but hey, it makes me feel better anyway. But it's so easy to make promises. It's so easy to say, I will follow. It's so easy to say, I will serve. It is so easy to say, I will be available. And yet, actually, the truth of the matter is we are none of those things. It is just a good intention on our part. When I was at Bible college, I had to answer a question once. I had to comment on or discuss this phrase, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. 
And I know that was an academic piece of work, but we're well-meaning. We intend to do well. And we want to be judged by our intentions, not our actions. But the reality is that is not the case. We are actually held accountable for what we do, not what we say we're going to do. So the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but he came to serve and give his life a ransom for many. You will remember in Philippians, it's one of my favorite passages of Scripture, one of many that I have, but it says this, it says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy, Paul says, by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you not look out only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And then he goes on to use Jesus as his example, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has exalted him and bestowed on him a name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus willingly gave up his position. Jesus was in that rightful place. He was in heaven. He was sat at the right hand of his Father. He was there. He was in that place of honor and authority. And yet he was willing to give that up to come to earth. And he put that aside and he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. He humbled himself. He didn't consider that he'd come to be served, but to serve, to give himself to total abandonment to other people. Most of us will know John chapter 13, if we've been around church any length of time. We know it's the passage where Jesus is going to share this meal with his disciples and they're all gathered in the same place and they're all waiting to start the meal and there is no servant present to do the customary thing which was to wash feet. And so Jesus stands up and he takes off his outer garment. It says these words, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand. That is a mark of authority. He has given all things into his hands and he had come from God and he was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist And he poured water into a basin and he began to wash 
his disciples' feet and wiped them with the towel that was wrapped around him. I want you to picture that for a moment. Jesus, the rabbi that they had been following, the one they had called master, the one that they had called Lord. Who do men say that I am? Well, some say you're Elijah, others say you're one of the other prophets, but you are the Messiah. It's the Messiah who's on his knees, washing feet. He wasn't complaining. He wasn't asking, oh, Peter, go and fill that. In fact, if it had been me, it would have been, hey, Judas, go and fill that bowl. Fill it with water because I already knew what you were going to do, so I'm going to make you swear. Not Jesus. Jesus takes that position himself, voluntarily, takes off his outer garment. I mean, think about that. He is exposing himself. Not his nakedness, but he is taking off his outer garment with whatever undergarments that he wore. And he wraps a towel around his waist and he kneels at his disciples' feet and he begins to wash their feet one at a time. Peter thinks he's dead smart. Oh, Lord, you ain't going to wash my feet. No, 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 Lord. I, I know who you are. And then Jesus just gives him those words, unless I do this, Peter, you can have no part of me. No part with me. Now we could go into talking about whether Jesus was communicating some deep spiritual truth and whether there is a doctrinal thing going on here. But if you just look at the scene as it is, the greatest above all is serving mankind there is something beautiful about servanthood I think we've cheapened very often this passage of scripture I know Jesus says I have left you an example for you to do and so sometimes we we think it's fantastic to go and get a bowl and fill it with water and go and get a towel and wash each other's feet and I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not wanting to be critical of that. But it's far more than that. It's not about some act that we might do once in a blue moon. This is a lifestyle. This is a lifestyle. I want to dial back just a, a bit. If we go back to the previous account, Jesus... That immediately before this, Jesus tells his disciples that he's going to Jerusalem. It actually says that they were amazed, but the amazed isn't about being amazed. Wow, look what Jesus is doing. Look what he's saying. The amazement is actually, why are you going to Jerusalem? Don't you realize you're in danger? So Jesus tells them, in fact, it actually says they were afraid. I never noticed that word until this last week. They were afraid. Jesus is walking making his way to Jerusalem, all right? Don't worry about it. He's making his way to Jerusalem, right? That's what he's doing. And they're following on behind with this, oh my goodness, he doesn't know what he's doing. He's at risk. I'm afraid I don't want us to go there because there's trouble ahead. Just before that, Jesus has spoken to them. He has told them 
Basically, he's given them an assurance of their, that they're going to be okay. He's met the rich young ruler who's come and said to him, Oh, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That guy, he was really clued in. He knew that there was an eternal life to be had. He knew that. And then Jesus challenges him with uh, six um, commands from Scripture. Six of the Ten Commandments. In fact, I think there are only five and there's one extra thrown in that isn't part of the Ten Commandments. But... He goes and he, he, sa- he says, these I have kept since I was young. And then Jesus turns to him, and I love it. It says that Jesus saw him and loved him. Think about that. Jesus saw him and loved him. Imagine what that must be like. Jesus saw John and he loved him. Wow. Jesus saw Tony and he loved him. Jesus saw Neil and Dolly and he loved them. That is something so beautiful. He actually saw the man before him and loved him. And then said to him, but this one thing you do not have. Go and sell all that you have and give to the poor. Then follow me and you will have treasure in heaven. And what does it say about the man? He went away sad. The disciples are confused. The disciples are saying, well, who then can enter the kingdom of heaven? You know, who can enter the kingdom of God if that's the case? How can anybody be saved? And then Jesus, again, he gives assurance. He says, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And then Peter exposes himself as super anxious because he comes and he says, to Jesus, listen, Jesus. I mean, Jesus has just told them what is impossible with man is possible with God. So it's like he's saying, Don't worry, God can do it. And then Peter says, But Jesus, we've given up everything to follow you. It's like he's wanting an extra stamp on it to know that he's going to be okay and he's in. I'm amazed. But what we see here is we see people who have position, a rich young ruler, but the challenge was to give something up. We have people who were following Jesus who became worried that they might not be able to get in because it is difficult to enter the kingdom of God. Earlier than that, we have the children, the disciples preventing children coming to him. And it says that Jesus was indignant. Basically rebuked his disciples and he took the children and he blessed them. For such are these that the kingdom of God is there for. There is something going on here. This is not just glibly written under the inspiration of the Spirit that these things follow one another. We need to recognize there is something more than being obedient to the law. There is something more. This man was as bold as brass, really, when you think about it. No different to the Apostle Paul. Bold as brass. You know, Paul said... As to keeping the law, perfect. This man's no different. He kept it ever since he was young. 
Something's going on here. He was relying on who he was, his ability. Jesus highlights children because children know when they need help. Children know that they're weak. In fact, what happens there is children were an inconsequential part. It was what the the women look after them. Don't disturb Jesus. He's not interested in you. Jesus is very interested. Because children exercise phenomenal faith. And all the way through that passage, he finishes it with this, but the first, the many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. You would think these guys were clicking in for something. And then we get to the passage we read. I mean, a James and John? Big? Seriously, are they? Have they lost the plot? They come to Jesus and they have the cheek to ask him. We've got something we want to ask you, Lord. I can imagine them, all 12 of them being there, them looking around. Jesus has just talked about dying. Who's going to be in charge when he's gone? Who's going to be in charge when he's gone? Maybe we should make a... We should let the Lord know we're available. And so they go and ask Jesus, Dad, Lord, will you do something for us? Very clever. They're trying to get an agreement for something without stating what it is. Do you know people like that? I do. Who want to get an agreement about something before they actually make a statement about what it is. The reality is that then Jesus, he starts. I actually think he's so gracious. In fact, it's Jesus. I could have easily imagined him rebuking them, telling them, who do you think you are? What are you doing? But he doesn't. He asks them a question. Jesus does that, doesn't he? He asks questions. You know, can you carry what I've got to carry? Oh, yes, we'll do that. No problem. Peter did that as well, didn't he? I'm not going to let you down, Lord. I am not going to. I'll never deny you. Not a chance. So what does he do? God knows our intentions are good so often, but our practice is poor. And I'm not surprised the disciples, because they must have done it in earshot, because it says the disciples got upset. Well, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. But then Jesus gives them a life lesson. And this is the lesson I want us to learn as a congregation. And Jesus called them to him and said, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. 
For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. Do you want to know how you know whether or not you should vote for someone for eldership? Are they top down or bottom up? Are they top down or are they bottom up? Are they one to be obeyed or are they one who serves? That's how you know who an elder is. The exciting thing for me as I read this passage of scripture, if I asked people, if I went to people and I'm looking for a, a, what we term a leader to do something in church, and I want them to lead a group or I want them to lead the Sunday school or I want them to lead something else, all right? Very often, what I will get back, oh, I'm not a leader. I don't mind being someone who helps out, but I'm not a leader. I want to tell you, if you serve, you're already a leader. If you're a foot washer, you are already leading. It's just you don't know it. If you will be willing to serve, you're already leading people because we are called to make disciples, teaching them everything that Jesus taught them or has taught us. And if we're serving, we are mirroring the actions of Jesus and we're starting by our actions alone, let alone words, to serve. And in serving, we are being an example. We're starting to lead. Everyone in this room can be a leader. Now you might go, oh, hold on a minute. But you see, the church for so many years, I'm not speaking just about this one, the church for so many years has adopted what I call the business principles of this world. And there's nothing wrong with business principles. I'm not having a go about them, you know. There's a lot we can learn from the way good, solid businesses operate. All right, there's lots we can learn. But the reality is the church has come to this place where it's like me, the pastor, the lead pastor is the CEO, and the elders or leaders are the board of directors, and we are the directors of everything. I'm doing myself out of a job here. But the truth is, that is not Jesus' way. If I'm not prepared to serve you, then I don't have any right to stand here and speak to you. If I am not willing to bow my knee and serve you, then I have no right to be here. None whatsoever. Because I do not reflect the person who is my master. Jesus. He says here, you're not like the Gentiles to lord it over. In other words, subjugate, overpower, dominate. The people who are going for leadership, are they any of those words? Do they overpower? Do they dominate when they're trying to um, bring things about? Do they try and subjugate people through those patterns? 
Those who are the great ones exercise authority over it, says. Those basically in positions of power, that's how they do it. They dominate, they subjugate, they, they overpower. But it shall not be a way be among you. It's not the way of the kingdom. Kingdom is about service. We're all called into the kingdom of God. We are all called into service. We may have gifts that differ, and therefore we operate in different ways. But the reality is together, in serving one another, the body should become fruitful. Position, for want of a better phrase, is determined by being a slave. Greatness is determined by being a servant, a person working in the service of another. And do you know what? So often what we do is we we become over-spiritual and we make statements like, well, I'm serving the master, therefore do what I say. But it isn't just the master I serve. I serve all. Those who are saved, and believe it or not, those who are yet to be saved, and even those who will never be saved. I am to serve. I am to walk and serve. To love and serve. Love and serve. Of all. You might say to me, this can't be right, Dave, surely. But if the one who's come from heaven, from the right hand of the Father, tells me that he didn't come to collect a bunch of disciples to just serve him, but he came to serve all and give his life, surrender his life, in its entirety, right to the nth degree, in his inner life, his outer life, everything, to give, transfer possession of something, concrete or abstract is what that word means, to give. His life, the condition of living or the state of being alive, especially my health, happiness, exuberance, energy, vitality, I will give my life, the entirety of who I am, Inside and out. In service. Jesus says a ransom, a price of release. For the many, the multitude, everyone. I genuinely think this passage is revolutionary for those who want to follow Jesus. It is revolutionary. It changes The tenor of things. The picture I thought about this morning, having a thing here with a basin and a towel stood on it. Chose not to in the end, but... The towel and the basin is not about washing feet. It's about... It's a symbol of service. 
It's about recognizing the call of God to lead through service. And that service is to the world, both within the church, because the Bible does say this. It says, do good, especially to those of the household of faith. But also those outside the church who don't know Jesus. Sometimes we are so, we have strong positions on certain things and don't get me wrong, I'm not, I'm not compromising God's word, but the way in which we deliver those things is important. Are we coming out of service or are we coming out of right and wrong? Are we trying to dominate or are we coming because we love people so much that we don't want to see them go down a path which is going to be destructive to their life? servanthood how do you know if myself, Jason are right to hold the position we hold because we will serve how do you know if the guys whose names have gone forward for eldership are supposed to be there They serve if they do that. You can tell who they are by the way in which they serve. I know that there's the thing about apt to teach and all the rest of it, but do you know you teach in many different ways, not just from this place here? You teach by example. You teach in one-to-one conversation. You teach in so many different ways. It's not just about being able to speak from this podium. If it's your call, it is. But if it's not your particular gift, you can still teach in many ways. So how might we respond? And with this, I'm going to close. How might we respond to this word on servanthood? There's a few ideas for you. Offer your service in the Sunday school. Why do I put that first? I'll tell you why. It's because it's usually the Cinderella of the church. Everybody wants to serve, but the Sunday school's the last place on the whole that people want to serve. Either because we're older and we've had our kids and we've had our time, we've done that. (laughs) Right? But you know, it always falls to a few people who then don't have the benefit of being with the body and therefore they become dry sometimes because of their separation. I love people who serve in Sunday school. They need an absolute massive medal in my book. Youth work. The Sunday lunch. John and Sarah have been doing the lunch, cooking it, making it. I think if Sarah had her way, she would never surrender it, truthfully. But the truth is, they can't do it every week, week after week after week, 52 weeks a year. And I know not everybody can cook for bigger numbers but with Sarah alongside, give you some training, 
anything is possible. All right. Sunday lunch. Volunteer to serve by coming in and cleaning the building. Do you know, I was totally unaware until I got here on Friday night. Very often this building at the moment, during the week, it becomes like a dumping ground. There's nothing worse for me. I hate coming in on a Sunday morning and seeing boxes of bread in the, in the entrance hall. You know? It's not, I haven't got anything against bread. I just think, you know, what are we communicating about how we view this place? You know? You go in the other room and you'll find a pile of clothes just chucked down between the settee and a, and a, and a, and a wardrobe. What does that communicate about what we think about the place that God has made available to us? But somebody come in on Friday and spent time, I'm not mentioning them by name, but somebody come in on Friday and they'd spent nearly the whole day here cleaning, just cleaning. What a beautiful spirit. What a lovely spirit. We don't have any cleaners at the moment. I have had two people ask me, or offer their services but why don't we do that why can't we do that you know it's important so come and clean the building be involved in the maintenance team the building needs ongoing maintenance it needs a spruce up you know so why not offer your services some of you have already done that on the sheet that you filled out where it gave you the option of definite, maybe, no. Lots of no's. Quite a few maybes, a lot less definites. All right? But we want to we wanna keep the building looking good. Why not somebody come and just say, I'm going to take responsibility for the outside of the building, and I'm going to just walk around once a week, and I'll make sure that the rubbish is lifted, and I'll just look at it. And if the rubbish is too big, then I'll let you know and we can make arrangements for it to get lifted. Why don't you go and see Jason, some of the things that we now want to get operating here, a parent and toddler group, right? Have you got time that you could give to do that? Go and see Jason, find out how you might volunteer and get involved in the projects with the homeless. Just because some of the staff are not Christians... Right? Doesn't mean that we don't have a responsibility to the poor. Jesus did say the poor will always be with us. I understand that. But don't please complain about that Jesus doesn't get shared in it if you won't serve in it. Because if you'll serve in it, you can talk about Jesus in it because you never get a complaint from me for doing that. Come up with something that you see that is needed or you believe God is leading you in. And do you know what I'm going to say to you? Get on and do it. We will facilitate you. We will facilitate you. We're going to become, I hope, discipleship focused in this next year. It's really important to me in my, and I don't, please don't misinterpret what I say, but my wife tells me I'm always going on about my age and retirement and all the rest of it. I'm, I'm not meaning it. But for whatever time God has me here, right, I want to see us become real disciples.
growing in our relationship with God. Because you see, the amazing thing back in Philippians, when Jesus humbled himself, God exalted him. Jesus didn't start looking for exaltation, but that's what happens. Servanthood brings recognition. But not bells and whistles necessary. But the master sees, and he rewards. So, I'm calling us all to servanthood. I'm saying use servanthood as your deciding process for deciding about elders. Servanthood. Servanthood. And ask yourself where you might serve. If you've got no idea, as I say, come and speak. And I'm sure we can find something for you to serve and some place to serve. I'm going to share this with you. It's the last thing. This is the last thing. This is about my third last, I expect. But a typical preacher. Many years ago, I had the privilege of going to uh, a a community of believers in Chicago called Jesus People USA. I won't go into their long story about how they came into being, but they ended up in an old hotel in downtown Chicago where drugs arrived, drive-by shootings happen, and all the rest of it. And people would come and join the community, and they loved the idea of joining this community. Everybody had their own bedroom and their own bathroom. The couples had bigger bedrooms and bathrooms. The kids would have their own bedroom and all the rest of it. There would be communal lounges in this place. And people used to love the idea. They'd go for a week or two and they'd think, this is fantastic. I want to come and be part of this community. So when they decided that that's what they were going to do, the first place they'd put these people is in the kitchen. And they would serve in the kitchen a minimum of six months. Because Glenn Kaiser, one of the leaders of that community from the resurrection band that he he used to be part of, he, would, um, he said, if they can't make it in the kitchen, they won't make it in the community. And the number of people who left, not after six months, but like week one, week two, week three, week four, week five, throughout the whole six months, they'd have people leaving saying, I can't cut this, I, I can't do this, I wanted to be doing the other stuff over there, and I wanted to do that, and I want to do this. But if you can't cut it and serve in that way, you know, in the, in the kitchen, then actually there's no way you're going to serve in other ways. And that's a bit like us. If we're not prepared to serve, then how can we ever lead anyway? Leaders serve. Bottom up. It's the only place that leadership is downward mobility, not upward climb. Downward mobility. Bless you. Let's pray. Father God, I just want to thank you for your example in Scripture that you have given to us. How you didn't come to be served, but you came and you served us. Even when we didn't deserve it. And gave yourself a ransom for many. 
Lord Jesus, you blow my mind daily. Help us be willing to follow your example. To not consider, for want of a better phrase, ourselves, but the interests of others, and to serve with a willing heart. God, may we, through that, see many people find you as their own personal Saviour and Lord. Amen.